Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. I do have the last two verses of the book that we'll be looking at today here printed on your bulletin. Plenty of space for you to take copious notes. And if you're busy writing and you don't catch everything that I say, please email me. I'll send you, oh, it was this verse or that verse or this list. Uh, there's so much to, to cover today. We're here at the end of a journey. It's been two years from last Sunday that I started in the book of James with the introduction. And here we are two years later, 23 sermons. This is the 23rd. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm making it through books faster than Tony has made it through. So, I mean, he just did a measly Genesis with its many chapters. But uh, I love that we have been in a book that is focused and direct and clear with its exhortations. The, the grounding of James and his exhortation is that since we have been born again by God, he has given us new life, we ought to bear faith, fruit that is in keeping with that faith. Our, our lives should look changed because of it. And so, as we approach these last two verses, it really fits the pattern of a typical Greek letter that James wrote here. The commentators say it was customary to end such a letter with a summary. We have verses 7 to 11 of chapter 5, an oath, verse 12 of chapter 5, uh, a wish for good health that James 5, 13 to 18 has, and then to end on this very last statement is a, is a purpose statement. Uh, this verse then should be part of the statement of purpose of the whole letter, and that's what makes it so important. James, as a book, has more imperatives, more commands, more directions per word than any other word, uh, any other book in the New Testament. He is constantly giving us direction, help, pointing us towards what fruit of the Christian life looks like. And so, as we get to this last verse, he's attempting to encourage the community of faith to do what he's been doing all along, examine our lives, examine ourselves, keep watch on yourself, but also look out for one another. So, follow along as I read James 5, 19 through 20. This is God's holy, inerrant, and inspired Word. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to what in one sense feels like an abrupt ending to this book, Lord, we are challenged to consider how we will put into practice the whole of its entirety, Lord. We thank You that this book is given not by man's wisdom, but by Your wisdom, that through the work of Your Holy Spirit, You have inspired this Word to speak Your very words. Lord, I pray that we would receive these words as they are, the very Word of God, and that we would be quick to hear and to obey. Lord, deliver us from this idea that we can just listen and not live it out. Keep us mindful of Your desire for us to live transformed lives. And Lord, give us 
the power that we need to live the, that life because we can't in our own strength. Lord, we try and we fail, but Lord, we know that by Your grace, working in us powerfully by Your Holy Spirit, we can yield fruit that's in keeping with the life that's been transformed, renewed, restored. Lord, guide us in Your Word and enable us to live Your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought Search and Rescue would be a catchy title for this, and I remember an incident a few years back where I was sitting in an airport waiting for a flight. We were going on a mission trip, and as we were sitting in the waiting area, I saw a woman with her dog. Now, that's not too uncommon, right? You see people with their dogs traveling all the time. It didn't seem to be that way when I was younger, but now there's dogs everywhere that are going different places. But this wasn't one of those little dogs in the carry-on. This was a full-size dog with a special harness on it, and it spoke about search and rescue. This was a rescue dog. This wasn't a drug-sniffing dog that they have in the airports. This was a dog that had a special, specialized purpose. And I kind of overheard its owner describing the dog, its training, where, where they were going. They were leaving the country to go to a place in the world where there had just been an earthquake. And there was the need for people who would be willing to travel from wherever to meet that need. Find those people who are lost. Find the ones that are in danger, mortal danger, and go about whatever you can to rescue them. Get them. Make sure that they don't die. And, and this cool dog had special training and abilities to lead its owner to find those trapped people. And I thought for a minute, I would, that would be kind of cool. That would be like a, a, a really amazing adventure. Um, I think you could get that experience if you joined one of the armed forces that have a Coast Guard has a search and rescue team. If in the midst of war, sometimes a search and rescue team is sent. You could get that here in America, being a first responder, getting out there and really helping people. But not everybody is called to that, right? I mean, you need specialized training. You have to have some abilities. You have to have some courage. You have to step out and sometimes be willing to risk a lot to help somebody out. Now, Nathan, why are you cho choosing to, to call this search and rescue? Well, because when James calls out to us in this passage, my brothers, he's using that name brothers for the 19th time that he's done in this book. And he's calling to fellow Christians, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, someone brings him back. He doesn't describe the people who bring back wanderers as specially trained, highly advanced super-Christians who, who have dogs that go sniff you out, it's anyone. It's all of us who ought to be prepared and ready to go on search and rescue missions. When you get that alert on your phone, an amber alert, and it interrupts your day and everything that you're doing, and you see that, why are we called in our attention to that because th those who are seeking after that person's life think that it would be, you could have a role to play. You could help somebody to be found who is missing, who is in danger. And so there are occasions where we can be involved. We don't have to have specialized training. Here, 
for this purpose, in helping one another, we are to be part of that search and rescue team that God has for us. Uh, Last week when Pastor Tony uh, described the mission of Redeemer Presbyterian Church during our congregational meeting, uh, he made it clear that we're a community of Christians. If you missed it, you heard about it in your Meet the Pastor class when you joined the church, or every Sunday you can look at the bottom of your bulletin. It says, the mission of Redeemer is to mature as a community of Christians. We're growing in this, but we're not just called to be a special interest group that gets together for a TED Talk on an important subject and leaves out of here doing our own thing. We're a community. The Bible describes the church as the body of Christ. He's the head, and we're each members of it. We are vitally connected to one another. And we need one another and our various gifts and graces to minister to one another. So, the community that we have here can mature, it can grow, and it can develop. And it will develop as we hear the call that a book like James gives to us to be paying attention to one another and notice if someone wanders from the truth. Let's consider first how we are each of us, prone to wander from the truth. Uh, James said, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, no one is beyond wandering. We all are. We look through Scripture, we see some of those famous characters of faith who in their times of greatest uh, testing failed the test. And we went through, through uh, the book of Genesis, and how many of those characters who we thought, they're strong, they're God's man, they're going to make it, wander away from the truth. Abraham, on, you know, multiple occasions, is not standing for the truth. He's wandering from the truth. Each of us are prone to wander. We have this propensity in us to veer and to shift and to leave. But our responsibility as a church is to look out for one another and to call back those who are wandering. I think of Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Would you love that? Would you love that if somebody was so concerned about you that they wanted to encourage you, stir you up to love and good works? If you had somebody who had your back, somebody who was encouraging you in that light, yeah, we'd all want that. Well, where do we get that? Well, by not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of Hebrews had in mind a community of Christians who looked out for each other, stirred one another up, but they did so by practicing that community, being a part of it being present. This isn't just a gotcha verse that pastors use when they didn't see you in church. Oh, you shouldn't neglect the assembling together. No, this is for every Christian to say, my duty, my job, my calling as a community is to encourage one another daily and to stir you up because that's what God's called me to. Let's get together and do that for one another. And when somebody is missing, when somebody absents themselves, either physically from being at worship or just distances themselves in their life and in their doctrine. We ought to care for them, search and rescue. Would you want that for yourself? 
If you were lost, would you want somebody to go and find you? How horrible is it if nobody would come out after you, right? We want to be a place where we go after those who are wandering. Proverbs 27.5 says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If I wander away from the truth in my teaching, in my doctrine, in my life, in my conduct, I'm asking you, please come after me. Don't let me go. Come after and bring an open rebuke. Bring me back to the Word of God and say, no, this is the way we are to live. This is the way we are to believe and come back to the truth. Psalm 141 says, let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. It's not the loving thing to not speak up when we need to. Deuteronomy 22.4, Moses talks about if you see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them, you shall help him to lift him up again. Don't ignore them. Help even if he has an animal that is wandered off or has fallen down. If you would do that for your brother, now consider what he says in Exodus 23.4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If we're called to even watch out for not just our neighbor but our enemies and do them the kindness of bringing back this wandering animal, how much more so should we look out for brothers and sisters? We're a family. We are adopted by God through Christ, brothers and sisters. And if you found out that one of your… Uh, if you were at a, a, a dinner at church here and one of the moms frantically says, I don't know where Billy is, can you help me find him? Which of you wouldn't get up and go try and find Billy because she's frantic? She doesn't know where he is. We've had that on a number of occasions. It just wasn't Billy. Insert name of kid that got away that we were concerned about. If you are family, you care. Even if it's not your family member, we should care for those who are wandering, who are lost. What does wandering from the truth look like? Uh, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, it's not just a truth, it's the truth. It's God's Word as a whole, but the truth of the gospel, I think, is what James has in mind, that you have been rescued and saved from your sins and you are holding fast to Christ. This is the core truth of the Christian faith. But we can wander in maybe two different respects. One is when we wander away from the, the doctrines of the Word, the truths of the Word that are spelled out. We, we slip into false teaching if we wander from the, the doctrine. But we can also wander in our practice, in our, the way we live, into sin, into a, a lifestyle that is contrary to God's Word. Um, Paul says in Titus 1, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So the knowledge of the truth is in accord with godliness. Right thinking, right doctrine should go hand in hand with right practice. The problem is when we twist one thing or the other. When we get twisted up in our doctrine, often it shows 
in a twisting up of our practice. Our lives go astray, and we start saying yes to things we should say no to. And we start saying no to things that we should be saying yes to. But there's also the occasions when we get wrapped up in a new way of living, maybe new influences, new friends that draw us into a way of living that is contrary to God's Word, that often leads us into, let's re-examine God's Word, and maybe it doesn't say what we thought it said, and we start twisting the doctrine to fit our practice. That's rampant today in the church. It's, it's I am going to justify my lifestyle by switching what God's Word says or what I think it says. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people to more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. So Philetus and Hymenaeus primarily started as they, they shifted in their doctrine. They, they wandered from the truth that Jesus is coming again, not that the resurrection has already happened. Jesus' bodily resurrection has happened, but He is coming back for the final resurrection. They're saying He's not coming back. He's already come back, and that changed their behavior. Wrong doctrine led to leading people into wrong practice. In Jude, we see that the problem was primarily in their practice. It was Jude 4 says, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Later, they said to you, in this last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It's these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So, in wandering from the truth in their practice, they end up bringing divisions. So, how are we to judge what kind of wandering from the truth is going on? And I think I've commonly seen it show in different ways in church life. Not every person wandering from the truth is wandering under the same experience, the same circumstances. Let me see if I can describe it with a few categories. First, I think there are those immature or young believers that wander away because they're not rooted. They're not grounded in the truth. And so, they're like that seed that falls on the rock and they, they spring up quickly, but then they get snatched away because they haven't been grounded in the truth. So, what do we do for those people who are seeming to wander away? Disciple them. Grow them. I mean, this is often the, the young people in our church that just need to learn the gospel, learn the truth. Come to Sunday school. Uh, come to youth group. Learn the catechism. Memorize Bible verses. Their, their brains are like sponges at that age. Let them soak it all in so that they're better equipped and not tempted to wander away from the truth. I think maybe later in life or just another category of a of, of, of believer, wander because they're distracted. And it's distracted by the next shiny thing. Sometimes it's distracted by everybody else around me and what they're doing. This kind of either worldliness or 
sensual pleasure, whatever is out there that you don't have right now, you want it. You go after it. And we get distracted. I mean, you, you learned your catechism that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But you're going after your job. You're going after this sport. You're going after this uh, goal that's not to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so you're, you're distracted by something else. I think there's a, a third category of believer who's wandering away from the truth because they're really struggling. They're having a crisis of faith. They're not sure what they believe. And each of us can go through this this time in life where we're not focused and we're being drawn away. And in that time of struggle, don't come after them and just beat them over the head, okay? In their struggle, come alongside them and encourage them, enliven them, help them. The next category of slipping seems to be when somebody gets to the point where they're deceived. Um, the modern evangelical world is calling it deconstructing in their faith. And sometimes I question whether they had genuine faith in the first place, actually, but what seems to happen is they start compromising and compromising doctrine and practice to the point where they get so deceived, they need to be refuted. They need to be rebuked. That's when you come and get in the face and say, no, brother, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not what God's Word says. And we, with, with urgency, call them away from that. Sadly, sometimes it slips over to where somebody is, is given over to that wandering or they are unrepentant. And that's where we as a body of believers have committed ourselves to the discipline of the church that comes into play as God's Word tells us to discipline and bring um, to a very clear warning not to continue. And finally, it can end in somebody wandering so far that they're turning back and calling others to come with them. And they're openly false teachers and, and drawing others away. And we have to just warn about those people, like Paul did about Hymenaeus and Philetus. Be careful of those false teachers who would call us away. We're all prone to wander, but wander in different ways. And as you look around, up and down your pew, up in front of you, behind you, and you recognize that that person hasn't been there for a week, don't go after them and rebuke them, right? Engage them and encourage them. Hey, I missed you. I care for you. Where, you know, how are you doing? If somebody's been gone for an extended period of time and you investigate and you work with them and you find out it's, they're in, in, in deep rebellion against God, you approach them in a different manner. But these are high stakes. This next point, we are re required to rescue sinners from death. In verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, do we actually save anyone? It sounds like from our souls, our eternal souls. Do we actually cover people's sins? Well, I think this is pointing to James calling us to be instruments in God's hands. God's the one that's doing the saving, but He uses us. He allows us to be a part of what He is doing. 
saving the soul from eternal punishment or covering over sin. That's God's ultimate job, but He invites us to be a part of it. And who are we after? We're trying to bring back a sinner from his wandering. Is this a believer or is this an unbeliever? Well, we don't know until we engage with that person. Do they have genuine faith or not? Like we heard last week from Matthew 3, John the Baptist's message is, you should bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus says a healthy tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree, diseased tree, will not bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Jesus calls us to, to discern between these things, not in a judgmental sort of way. In the case of anybody who wanders from the truth, they could persist in that. They could continue on in that. And we think of a, of a Judas who denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus, and we're warned, as in 1 John 2, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, and now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it's the last hour, that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued to be with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. Some will walk away, wander away from the truth, and leave the church. And it will be evident that they are not of us. But as long as there's breath in someone's lungs, they still have the opportunity to repent. And we should continue to call people to return to Christ and trust in Him. There's temporary doubt. There's a backsliding. Like Peter denied Jesus. It was a serious departure from the truth. But God in His mercy and grace called him back. And Jesus restored him in such a sweet and tender way. Temporary doubt happens. Stumbling and falling happens. It's are we going to continue in that and persist in that? By God's grace, He's given us one another so that we don't keep falling. Somebody's there to warn us. Somebody's there to help us. Somebody's there to encourage us. You want somebody to be there for you, and you ought to be that person for another person. People struggle in various ways. So much struggle comes when we lack that assurance of salvation. And maybe somebody disappears for weeks on end because they feel guilt, they feel shame, they feel like they don't belong, and therefore they've wandered away from the truth. The way to bring them back to the truth is not to harangue them for missing, but to, again, restore them with the gospel and tell them your sins are forgiven. Please come and join this is the heart that Jesus had. He's the great rescuer. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the one that calls back those who have gone astray. And in Matthew 18, we learn about how we go about this rescue mission. And we're going to get some steps in what to do. But I want you to hear the context that Jesus gives for how to go about rescuing people. He says in Matthew 18, 12, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of that one that went astray? And if he says to it, and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should not perish. 
Jesus has the heart for going after the lost sheep. And right after we hear his heart on that, he says, directly after that, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault just between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't listen, take one or two witnesses along with you, that every charge may be established in the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. We may be familiar with that passage talking about this is church discipline. This is when we follow a process for calling somebody back who's wandering from the truth. But Jesus said the heart of somebody who's going through that process ought to be as a shepherd, going after that sheep that he loves and he wants to restore. The purpose of discipline is restoration. It's for the unity of the church. It's for the holiness within the church. We see that this process should be followed with the proper attitude. In Galatians 6, 1 and 2, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You've heard me say this before. The reason we have a B3 conference is because we want to learn how to bear burdens biblically. We want to do it the way that God tells us to do it. And how does He say? We want to do it in the spirit of meekness or humility. We want to keep watch over ourselves. Take logs out of your own eye before you go after somebody else. And then as you come, you're seeking to restore them. They're caught in a transgression. Be careful with somebody who is caught. And so as we tenderly restore them, as we seek to see them restored. That word restored is used of, of setting a bone. Like if somebody had a broken bone and they say, hey, let me restore that, and they're just rough with you. That's the, horrible. If somebody had such a condition, you would want to gently and carefully restore them. We need to go about this plan carefully, biblically informed. Our conference on March 1 and 2 is to, to help us to do that more biblically. Steve Cole is a preacher that summarized the process, the action steps for us here. And I want you to consider what being on God's search and rescue team might look like for you. The question of who should go. Well, if you have a knowledge of somebody straying and a relationship with that person, you sit in the same pew with that person, you should go. You should talk to them. You should, secondly, get the facts. Don't go on hearsay or gossip or slander. You want to go directly to that person, and you want to find out. Ask questions. Don't come in with condemnation. Thirdly, check your heart. There's no room for being judgmental. We ought to check our motive before we go. Are we being self-righteous? We want to prove them wrong. No, we should go in humility. Fourthly, we should pray. This is a spiritual endeavor. It's not your reasoning, your passion, your, your winsomeness that's going to win somebody back from wandering. It's the Holy Spirit of God that does that work. He uses us and our gifts and talents and our words, but go to God in prayer and ask for His mercy to be on that person. And make sure that your love for God and your love for brother are your motives for going. Do it out of a desire to please Him. 
it's probably the hardest thing that I'm asking you to do, that God's Word tells us that we should be our brother's keeper. Our natural propensity is, hey, they got their life, I got my problems, they got to figure it out for themselves. We live in such an independent culture that looks out for only our, our own interests and not the interests of others. We live isolated and our own lives. This is countercultural what we're being asked to do. But by God's grace, we can do it. Sixthly, he says, go directly to the person. Don't go behind his back and try to campaign for your point of view or try to convince others to do what God's calling you to do. <laughs> Pastor, I haven't seen so-and-so for a while. What are you going to do about it, right? That's kind of the impression that James is trying to talk against. It's like, if you see it, if anyone is missing, someone should go. Think in advance for the proper approach, the right wording. Uh, for example, study how Nathan confronted David, who was wandering from the truth and wandering so bad, he didn't even know it. And he carefully crafts a story to bring him to the point of conviction. He says, you are the man. We need to be that person in one another's lives. And guess what? If somebody comes to you with that concern about you and where you've been or what you've been doing, would you receive it in humility and respectfully and give that respect as you would want it given to you? Are you able to detect when a fe fellow believer's not has wandered from the truth? In a church our size, that's hard to do, at least in a room full of all these people. That's why we've broken down our congregation into flock groups so that you have a smaller group of people that you are hearing about their lives, you're more involved with, you're more personal with. Are you taking advantage of those flock groups for that mutual accountability and encouragement? Are you having the conversations that you should be having? Maybe you're thinking of somebody right now who you haven't seen for a while or you're wondering what they're thinking. You saw a Instagram post and you're like, I don't know where they're at right now. Would you, out of concern for their soul, courageously, carefully, humbly, say, brother, I'm concerned. Where you been? What's going on? Consider what God would have for you to do and courageously pursue it and ask the Lord for help. And He does that. If you haven't seen somebody who has been wandering come back, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing, the joy that you have from being part of what only God could do gives you an excitement for the gospel changes people's lives. The gospel calls people back to Christ. And I would encourage you, step out in faith and look for those who are wandering and be a part of what God is doing in His mission. Let's pray. Lord, we confess we fall short again and again, and we don't live up to the call that You have on in our lives, and we ourselves are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. So we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to love us enough to come after us, to even tell us hard things when necessary. Lord, the calling that You have for us to function as members of the body of Christ is difficult. We're independent. We're self-reliant, in many ways disconnected in our society. We don't live in our community as you have designed us to, and so make us willing to be countercultural, to step out of our comfort zones, to be 
active members of the search and rescue team that you have put us on. Lord, when we're approached by another person concerned about us, give us humility. Give us grace to respond to them with thankfulness, with respect. Lord, it's because you have rescued us from sin and misery and eternal death that we want to imitate our, your rescuer's heart, that we'd be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.